Well Capitalized, a podcast about the Canadian credit union system. I'm your host, Josh Noble, and I'm joined today by Annette Bester, partner at MNP. In her role, Annette oversees the credit union practice for MNP across Canada. Thanks so much for being here today, Annette. Thanks so much, Josh. I'm happy to be here. Well, I really appreciate you being here. To start off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What was your journey to your role with MNP? Well, I guess, um, you know, just a little bit about myself personally. There's probably a lot to put in here, but uh, just uh, I grew up actually in a small community in rural Saskatchewan, so St. Benedict, and my great-grandfather actually founded the credit union there. So it's kind of interesting. I have four siblings, and we all get along really well. And, you know, I have two children of, of my own and a stepson as well. So that's a little bit about me personally and kind of where I where I grew up uh, in terms of M&P. It's been almost 22 years that I've been with the firm. So I articled as a CPA and was promoted to partner in 2009 and, and then took on this role as the national leader for credit unions in 2010, which I've been doing for over 10 years. So time goes by really fast, but I I get to work with credit unions in both an audit and advisory capacity and have really been able to build relationships with leaders across the country through national conferences and events that MNP has sponsored and supported. So that's a bit about myself and my journey. I, I did want to mention also that, you know, kind of marrying those two, like my personal and, and my MNP career, was about 2007 when I kind of connected my passion for credit unions with my role at MNP. And I actually have to give a, a shout out to Simon Sinek and his TED Talk on the power of why, because really, he was a great motivational speaker. I heard his TED Talk, and it, it really connected the passion I had uh, about credit unions with my role. And I was fortunate enough to actually receive a signed copy of his book after MNP sponsored the World Credit Union Conference in Ottawa a few years back. Oh, very cool. I, I love that you noted passion. That was the thing that came to mind for me, that there's this sort of through line personally of the work that your grandfather had done and, and now the work that you do. Um, that's very neat. Well, thanks. And and quite honestly, I had never connected those two until that TED Talk, and I was really thinking about why I did what I did and why I worked with credit unions. Yeah, very interesting. I know I grew up in a very small town, a very small hamlet in Saskatchewan, and I still am kind of uncovering the ways in which that uh, upbringing has built me into the person and the professional that I am. So, yeah, that, I, I feel some kindred spirits uh, with you on that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to have your perspective as someone who has a wide lens on credit unions and what's happening in the financial services space because COVID-19 has been a really significant economic disruptor. And we've seen FIs in Canada come under significant strain. There's significant loan loss provisions. There's record low interest rates. And that seems to be uh, the, the central banks um, globally are also signaling that we should be buckling up for that to continue. Are there any particular headwinds, not just for financial institutions, but for credit unions in this environment? Uh, they're significantly different from uh, other banking competitors. Well, I, I would say that many of the same operational changes felt by credit unions are being felt by the banking competitors as well. I think from my perspective, in terms of differences, I think one of the main ones is that credit unions don't have ready access to capital like the banks do. 
they can't just issue more shares in the marketplace to increase their capital. And so, you know, credit unions main source of capital is retained earnings, which is built from generating that net income or profit. So when you think about the low interest rates and the larger loan loss provisions that can erode that net income, there's really a, a challenge that they face in building or maintaining that capital. I think the other thing that COVID brought on was the need to accelerate the digital transformation initiatives, which really typically requires increased investment in technology and external support. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a tough situation to balance as a credit union. On one hand, credit unions need to preserve a certain amount of net income to maintain capital, sustain them into the future. But on the other hand, thinking about the ways that you could preserve net income, you know, laying off employees to control costs or reducing investment in the community, those are contrary to the fundamental values that credit unions have as cooperatives. And, you know, not to mention, you know, some of the past federal and provincial tax changes that have taken away some of the credit union tax deductions over the years. Tax rates have gone up, so there is less income that's flowing through to that retained earnings. So I think despite all of it, I think most credit unions have continued to put member owners first, maintaining community investment programs, finding ways to ensure employees can continue to be productive despite the changed COVID environment, like working remotely. But they're also remaining sensitive to the future potential impact on capital and sustainability of these choices. So again, there's some differences for sure and some additional headwinds that credit unions have over the bank. But overall, you know, I think that credit unions are making some, some tough but good decisions right now. And I think the other point I'm going to make is that credit unions are the financial institutions of choice for many small businesses across the country. And we know that these businesses have been hit the hardest with COVID-19. So the impacts of a small business failing may be felt harder by credit unions, especially those that are the only financial institution in their community. So those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I know that, uh, I haven't thought about it, but I know that uh, credit unions disproportionately have a, a large share of small business, um, which, which sort of represents particular risk right now, I suppose also per, uh, represents particular opportunity uh, if the reopening is as uh, robust as we are hopeful for um, with entrepreneurs looking to get back in the game. Yeah, and I think more than ever, they need they need that advice. They need that support um, by, by credit unions and their financial institutions. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I think another thing that I thought a lot about with this whole um, pandemic and the second order effects is the way that there's sector trends and secular trends that were projected to progress over the next decade and various stages across various organizations and industries and sectors. But these sort of 10 years um, or, or two years, depending on the sector, you know, uh, have been compressed. So we've, we've seen some companies making 10 year uh, changes in months. What is and what isn't working in banking? And do credit unions have particular vulnerabilities or opportunities? So my thoughts are banking should be about providing that financial advice and support. So focusing on the holistic view of the customer or the member. And there is an element of trust in this type of relationship. One that requires the member to see you as working in their best interest. And, and not just looking for a commission or a sale. So I think banking needs to evolve this focus. And honestly, credit unions, they have a head start in this area because the cooperative values underpin this thinking. 
So, you know, I wanted to start with that point. The second point is I believe that Canadians have a huge opportunity with the accelerated pace of change required with COVID. Like I said before, members need support and advice more than ever. So Canadians, they're really well positioned to evolve. They're less burdened with bureaucracy than the banks are. And if management and the board are willing to embrace change and recognize that member needs have changed, then there's an opportunity potentially to leapfrog the banks in terms of progress. Right? It's a lot easier to move the ship in one direction when you're small and nimble versus big and bureaucratic like the banks. But I think I think the caveat would be is not every credit union has that innovative mindset or is prepared to make those changes because the changes are not easy. So those credit unions that aren't willing to do that are going to be very very vulnerable to becoming obsolete if they can't keep up with the rapid pace of change that's coming and that has been um, seen throughout COVID. And and the other thing and. Um, is, is really the, the demographic of, of members within credit unions. So I think that, you know, it should be, you know, it's, it's very well known that credit unions have an aging member demographic. And so while some credit unions are taking deliberate actions to shift this, the reality is that this demographic is actually, you know, the same demographic that's at the highest risk in relation to COVID, right? So, you know, credit unions have been talking about the aging member demographic for years, but when you layer on what's going on with COVID and, and how this could potentially impact that segment, I think that that's a big vulnerability for credit unions, um, more so than it even has been in the past. Very interesting. Uh, I, I, I know that we are more nimble than our competitors just because of size, and, and sometimes I, I forget that because you, uh, you get used to it. Um, but that, that nimbleness in part plays out because of size and we're seeing consolidation uh, sort of playing out for decades in the credit system. And uh, I think that I've seen mergers picking up. I don't know if you can relay what, what your experience uh, across the country has been, but uh, a merger takes significant effort. And so when I think about how a credit union deploys its effort in that sort of, we, we can be nimble, we can be quick, but there's only so much capacity uh, how does a credit union balance off the uh, effort of a merger versus the effort of other um, strategic opportunities and tactics that might take up some of that nimbleness? Well, first of all, I would absolutely agree. I think the number of merger conversations have increased recently. And, and COVID, I think, has, has been a part of that. I think the, the lower net income coupled with the rapid technological changes required to keep up, has really forced credit unions to reflect on their long-term future and sustainability. Plus, you also continue to see succession challenges at both the CEO and the board level, especially in the small or rural credit union. So, you know, coming back to the, the fact that mergers do take a significant amount of time and effort, I think what's important is to consider why the merger is happening or why the conversations are happening. So is it because a credit union is struggling? And, and therefore, its only option is to find a stronger partner, right? It could be for, for many larger credit unions, merging in a smaller credit union is done not because it yields great benefits to that large credit union, because of the cooperative values and the concern they have for community and the fact that they're, they're, they're really doing it on behalf of the whole system. 
And, and I, I do think that there's a balance between merging for the sake of growth and recognizing that there are indirect and direct costs that are going to be paid for by the existing members if the merger goes ahead. So I think, you know, one of the things I would say is really credit unions need to be strategic about their stance regarding mergers. Boards need to be discussing this and ensuring that the credit union has a strategy in place that speaks to mergers. So whether, whether they're the potential acquirer or whether they're the target for acquisition. I think the, the biggest failure would be not having that conversation and understanding and, and recognizing that there is a trade-off there. Because mergers take a lot of time and effort, as you mentioned. So when an opportunity comes, if they're focused on integration post-merger and they're not able to take advantage of that opportunity, then you know, what's, what's, what are they losing in that process? So I think, you know, being strategic, putting the focus there, making that decision as a board and making sure that that management is aware and and then really um, focusing forward on that. I think another major theme um, throughout this this um, pandemic has been the ability to compete digitally. So credit unions forever have <laughs> prided themselves on their ability to outcompete on service, personal relationships. That's kind of the secret sauce. And this has been challenged over the last couple of decades with the rise of digital first banking and commoditization generally across financial services. So how do credit unions that compete on service keep up in a world that needs, at least at this moment, needs to minimize human contact? I believe credit unions need to look at every interaction they have with a member. So not just the direct face-to-face contact. And, and this isn't a new concept with the rise of digital first banking. But now that this face-to-face human contact is reducing, there's a lot more importance that needs to be placed on all those other interactions, which in many cases are digital. So I would say the first step is really to ask members what's important to them and don't just assume. So it's, it's part of that relationship building. And, and you've got to keep asking them because this is going to change as their lives evolve. And one size doesn't fit all. And, and really, um, in some cases, without this human contact, I mean, there are mistakes that get made. I mean, there's mistakes that get made anytime. And I think it's just important to be transparent and, and have that conversation with the member. Make sure they know that you have their best interests at heart. And I believe that's really the winning combination, whether you're face-to-face or whether this is through some other digital digital channel. On, on a personal note, I really, I love the fact that I've built a relationship with my credit union advisor. However, I can say that relationship wasn't just built face-to-face. It was built by email, phone, in every interaction I have with the website, with the mobile banking app. So for me, it's whether I get the support I need when I need it with less friction, uh, as, as minimal time as possible in the process. So, you know, I think it's really important to individualize what that looks like for each member. And I can honestly tell you, if I had to do every interaction with my advisor in person or on the phone, I'd probably be looking for a new financial institution. I need, I need a mix of all of that. I still need that contact, but you know, with COVID minimizing the human contact, there's video conference, there's, you know, those phone calls that you can do. And once you've built that relationship, that relationship does last. And I do think that that's, that's a big piece of why credit unions offer a value proposition, because 
uh, your your employees stay connected to the members and they build those personal relationships. So the the question now is how do you make sure that you continue to keep that top of mind when you're not seeing your members as regularly? But those are those are my thoughts. Well, Annette, I am so grateful for your time and uh, wish you all the best as you navigate the, the pandemic personally and professionally and as you continue to um, be a, a thought leader and uh, a key partner for the Credit Union System in Canada. Thanks, thanks, Josh. This has been great and uh, really appreciated you having me today. <laughs>